This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome, everybody. It is... Uh, a great pleasure to have you with us. Uh, we, as, as a church at Vortex, we really believe that our time with you is important and that your decision to spend time with us is equally important. We want you to leave after a Sunday uh, feeling like you were uh, built up, not beat down, feeling like you were given life, not drained while you were here. And we believe that God definitely has something in store for us. We are kicking off a season for us that is very important. And that's uh, a period of time that we do every year. We devote it at the beginning of each year called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And so uh, we've encouraged you over the past few weeks to think about what you're going to fast. Maybe maybe you're going to lay off uh, uh, caffeine for a few weeks. Maybe you're going to give up social media. Uh, our staff is doing a version of uh, Daniel Fast, which there's information online about that at Vortex Church forward slash 21 days. Uh, you can get some more information about that kind of fasting. But we just want to encourage you to spend the next 21 days saying no to something. Because here's the thing. How many of you all have noticed that there are things in our lives that we always say yes to? We just always, if it's offered, we say yes. For me, it's coffee. I mean, if, if there's coffee available, I'm going to say yes. And for the next three days, I'm going to be reminded that I've always said yes. Because about somewhere in this evening, early morning tomorrow, the caffeine headache will set in. And for the next three days, I'll have a caffeine headache. And it's a reminder that I've said yes. But here's the thing. If you always say yes, it's not freedom. If you always say yes, it's not freedom. And so every once in a while, it's a good idea to just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to discipline myself, and I'm going to say no to some things that I currently say yes to. And by doing that, actually what's going to happen is that in my heart, the desires of my heart are going to become redirected to the Lord. That's our prayer over this 21 days. And so if you're fasting social media, um, we're going to put a, a group of videos together. They'll be posted on Facebook and on our mobile app. You can find that in your app store depending on which device you use. And you can watch those over the next 21 days. Kind of to engage your hearts each day as a prompt to pray. All right. Now, we've also issued a challenge. All right, this is the first year I've done this. If you're able to complete this challenge and kind of sign the commitment that you did it, you'll be entered into a drawing to win a $100 Visa gift card. All right, so I want to go through the 10 challenges this year for 21 days of prayer. Number one, pray regularly over your spouse. If you're not married but you want to get married, pray for your future spouse. Now, can I just say this? If you're dating, that doesn't mean pray for the person you're dating. There's a lot that can go wrong in between here and there. This is just praying for your future spouse. And if you're not married, but you want to stay single, pray for the marriages that are represented in our church. Number two, pray with a coworker once a week. 
Number three, pray with your parents. Give your parents a call. Pray over them. Number four, ask a neighbor, and I define this by someone who lives near you, how can you pray for them? Number five, pray for your kids daily. Daily. If you don't have kids, but you want one one day, pray for your children that you don't have. And if you don't have kids, and if you don't want them one day, pray for the kids that are represented in our church. Number six, text a different friend each day and tell them that you're praying for them. Maybe include a small text message prayer. Number seven, write a list of five things that you're going to keep praying over throughout the year 2018. Number eight, ask your boss or an authority figure in your life how you can be praying for them in this season of their life. Number nine, send someone a handwritten prayer. Number 10, this is so important. Invite a family over for dinner and have your families pray together. Here's the thing. If you pull this off in the next 21 days, your life's going to be different. All right? And it's worth $100 enticement to get you to do that. Now, as I said earlier, fasting is all about freedom. It's really about experiencing the freedom. Most of the time we think about freedom as the capacity to say yes. But freedom really is the capacity to say yes and no. And really this series anchors itself in one of the most significant writings in the New Testament about freedom, which comes out of Galatians chapter 5, which begins this way. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. I am always marveled when I read this verse that the Apostle Paul does not say, do not get tied up again in slavery to sin. Okay? He says, don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. The law represents a system of rules and regulations that would have told people what was right to do. And he's kind of going to point out in this that now you have been set free. You've been set free to follow one of two things. Your sinful nature or the Holy Spirit. And we see that the purpose of the message of Jesus is to set you free. It's the whole purpose. It's why Jesus died. Jesus died to set you free. And freedom is always connected to choice. Will you choose to follow your sinful nature? Or will you choose to follow the Holy Spirit? And so throughout that chapter, Paul builds his case towards each one of those. And then he says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. We choose to follow Jesus. We choose the Holy Spirit. It produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now notice that he uses the analogy of fruit. We live in a kind of an agriculture-based society. So around here, we're familiar with this. When you plant fruit, you've got to wait on the fruit. Can't pick it too early. If you pick it too early, it's no good, right? It might even look good, but if you pick it too early, it's still not good. Which lets me know that patience is an important thing. And so today, to choose Jesus is really to choose love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, to choose Jesus, to make the choice to follow Jesus, is really to choose those things. And so today we're going to zero in on patience. How many of y'all would say that you're really awesome at patience? How many of y'all would say that you struggle with patience? All right, if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. All right. <laughs> All right, you're just embarrassed or something. I don't know what it was. But Jesus really actually in, in the totality of how he is presented to us shows us patience. I mean, first I would say that the life of Jesus demonstrates patience. God himself could have sent his son as a reigning king to solve all the problems in the world. But he didn't. He sent a baby who would have to develop, fully God, fully man, who would have to go through natural human development as a process of waiting and waiting and waiting until the time was right. It was 30 years until Jesus would step forward into earthly ministry. That's patience. The life of Jesus demonstrates patience. Number two, the ministry of Jesus demonstrates patience. All right. The ministry of Jesus demonstrated patience. You ever notice the people that Jesus hung out with? Fishermen, tax collectors. They didn't get it right very often. All right. They had some shining moments in there, but they had some massive failures. And he knew this before he picked them. He knew I'm going to pick a guy who betrays me. I'm going to ask you to follow me. I'm going to ask a guy to follow me who's going to run and deny me multiple times. And even though he knew all of that, he was gracious and patient with them. Because the ministry of Jesus demonstrates patience. And I would say for us, probably the greatest evidence is that the love of God, the love of Jesus demonstrates patience. How many of y'all are thankful that God has not demanded perfection from you? I am really thankful because <laughs> I would not be here right now. All right? The, the love of God is patient and enduring. And it works in our hearts, not, not just to affirm us and to make us feel better about us, but honestly to change us. Which is why I would say that the love of Jesus gives us a hope for a better future. Like It's His love working inside of our hearts that gives us this massive hope for a better future. Really echoing the sentiment of Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and... A hope. A hope. Do you see that? That God wants to give you hope. And I would tell you today that hope is really the fuel for patience. Because for us to hope for something, it, it really means that we don't have it. That we don't have it yet. You, you can't hope for something that you already have. Do you know that? And hope is such a vital and important thing to life. As a matter of fact, I would say that studies show that when hope is choked out, that life 
begins to deteriorate and our emotional status always shifts from a very positive orientation to a negative orientation. Because hope is so important. I think that's why the writer, uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, that great chapter 13 where he talks about love. So these three remain, faith, hope, and love. These are the big ones. And hope is the fuel for patience. Hope is the fuel for patience. But if we're honest, we live in a world that makes patience really hard really hard you may be asking how does that work well the first reason i think patience is so hard is that we live in an immediate culture if you want a hamburger you go to mcdonald's if you want a milkshake you can run over to sonic oh you need a new tool go to lowe's we can get almost anything almost instantly. You see that sweater that the girl's wearing that you like and you think it's cute and you want it, you just go on Amazon, you order it, and you get it in two days. And if you want it in one day, you can pay $10 extra. It's an immediate culture. Everything can happen almost instantly. Now, there was a time, not too long ago, some of y'all are old enough to remember this, when you would ha be hanging out with friends and you would get in arguments about facts. Like you would get in an argument about who was the president in 1928. Or you would have an argument about what the world record for the most watermelons eaten was, right? You would get in these arguments. And you would argue all night back and forth, right? But now we don't have those arguments anymore. Why not? Because we can pull out our phones and Google it and instantly find the answer to the question. Because everything has become instant and immediate. And the problem with the immediacy that we have in our culture is I believe we are the most entitled cohort of generations ever assembled on the planet. And I don't mean just young people. I don't mean that. If you're a baby boomer in here, one of the most common phrases that I've ever heard from a baby boomer is this. I worked hard and I deserve it. Which is a dramatically entitled statement. I worked hard and I deserve this house or this car or this lifestyle or whatever. Not recognizing that there are people that were born literally on the same day you were around the world who have never been given the opportunities that you have been given, who have worked harder than you have ever worked and have significantly less than you. Just because you worked hard doesn't mean you deserve it. It's entitled. And the problem with entitlement is an entitled attitude kills hope. An entitled attitude kills hope. Because an entitlement in the tension of patience says, I should have it right now. 
There's nothing to be hopeful. Researcher Brene Brown, uh, in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, um, kind of talks about how some of the research that she's done has pointed to this before. She says this, there's a new cultural belief that everything should be fun, fast, and easy. But that is inconsistent with hope. It actually sets us up for hopelessness. Because we get into the tension and things are not fun, fast, or easy. And all of a sudden, we give up hope. And we let go of the hope of a better future. So she continues, I'm increasingly concerned that we're raising kids that have little tolerance for disappointment and have a strong sense of entitlement, which says, I deserve it because I want it. This combination of fear of disappointment and entitlement is a strong recipe for hopelessness and self-doubt. See, that perspective, which seems so common and subtle, is deadly to the inside. Because entitlement kills hope. I love what she says. This is such... When she's writing about hope, just just kind of let this sink into you. We need to develop a hopeful mindset that understands that some worthy endeavors will be difficult and time-consuming and not enjoyable at all. (laughs) Doesn't that sound happy right there? No, it doesn't. But that's patience. It is a worthy endeavor. And it won't be fun. So why is patience an issue? Why is it even an issue in our life? The real reason patience is an issue is that patience exists in the gap between what I'm going to call the dream and the day. That's where patience exists. Some of y'all have had the dream. Your kids are acting stupid, and somewhere in your heart, you got a vision that they're not going to be this way forever. God's going to get a hold of them. Some of you are married and your spouse is making decisions that you wish that they wouldn't. And you have a dream that they're going to kind of wake up and live differently. Some of you have a dream that one day you're going to get married. There's this gap that exists between the dream and the day. No more evident in Scripture than in the life of a guy named Joseph, who as a very young man has a dream that all of his brothers, he's a lot of brothers, that they're going to bow down and worship him. And there literally comes a day, decades later, where that dream comes true. But the gap in between is filled with a lot of hardships and difficulties. Which is why I think that Galatians 6-9 is really important. So let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Patience is all about the gap that exists between the dream and the day. There's another thing about patience that I want you to see. 
Is it patience? Is a tension to be managed not a problem to be solved? There is no formula that I can give you that will eradicate your difficulty for patience. It's not a simple problem that I can give you an A plus B equals C. Patience requires a lot of work. Which is why I love Psalm 27, verse 14. Look at this with me. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. See, there's a tension that's represented in there. I don't know if you noticed this. Wait for the Lord. That's kind of you passively sitting and waiting. Then, but it, then it gives commands. Be strong. Do this. And then let your heart take courage. Do this. But then, no, again, wait for the Lord. And the thing is, is that when it comes to patience, we often blow it. We blow patience because we get it wrong. So how do we get patience wrong? The first thing that I would say is that we hustle for things that we should wait for. We hustle for things that we should wait for. Because I want you to listen to me, okay? Pay attention. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Y'all listen. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And sometimes we get so busy goal setting and going after it. God gave me the dream. I'm going to make it happen. And we hustle for things that we need to wait for. But then there's some of us that don't do that. We get patience wrong because we passively wait when we should be actively participating. We wait passively when we should be actively participating. So what is patience? Let me just give you a really simple working definition of what patience is. Patience is actively joining in God's vision by participating in what you can do while hopefully waiting for God to do what only He can do. Now, probably the easiest illustration practically to give between the day and the dream is an engagement to marriage. Right? There's the day where the dream happens. I feel sorry for guys that got to ask girls to get married today. When I did it, like it was just like you just asked and you gave them a ring and that was all you had to do. But nowadays, you got to have like a flash mob, light show, fireworks, photographers, right? I can't pull that off. I'm so glad that that's already taken care of in my life. All right? But there's the day where the dream comes. And then you set the day, right? The dream and the day. And in between, there's work that has to be done. And if you're the bride, just think about it from the perspective. There's stuff that you can do. And there's stuff that you can only do with your man. And then there's stuff that only he can do. And if it all goes right, and you do the stuff that only you can do, and he does the stuff that only he can do, and you do the stuff you're supposed to do together, when you get to the day, it's an amazing day. 
But now let me just kind of put it in a real situation. There's some of y'all that are single and you're waiting and hoping one day that God will send somebody and you'll get to get married. Find the right person. And it's really easy to just sit back and say, I'm just going to sit here and passively wait. That's not patience. That's not patience. Patience is not passive. Patience is actively participating in the dream. God, you gave me a dream that one day I'm going to get married, and I believe that this person, this spouse is waiting for me one day in the future, and I believe it's going to happen. And so I'm going to get busy. And now, here's the thing is that oftentimes we think that when the get busy actively participating, that means you need to go make you an eHarmony account, right? You need to go out and get tender and be lighting it up and getting all kind of matches and as many people as possible. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. The work that you need to be doing is in you. While you wait, You need to be becoming the person that somebody would want to be married to. Because if you're not doing that work, see, here's the thing. A lot of the times when you're in the season of patience and waiting, God has something for you to do. And if you refuse to actively participate and let God do that work in your heart, you will continue to wait because God will withhold that thing. Because if he gave it to you, it'd become your God. It's a season of faith. What do we know about faith? Faith without works is dead. See, faith is described in Hebrews 11. As it shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. So what is patience? What is patience? First one, it's a commitment to do your part. It's a commitment to do your part. That's why I love the story of Joseph. Abducted and beaten and sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt and he's sold to an an Egyptian pharaoh uh, official. His name is Potiphar. and He becomes a, a slave to Potiphar. But here's the thing. He doesn't just say, I'm sold into slavery. I'm just going to sit here and mope. No, Potiphar says of of Joseph that anything that he does goes well. So I'm going to put him in charge of my entire estate. He does what he can do. He's he's enslaved, but he's going to do the best job at whatever he's been given. And eventually Potiphar's wife is going to Accuse him of trying to have sexual relationship with her. She's going to say that she was raped by him. He's thrown into prison. There is no trial. He's a foreigner. He's just held in worst case scenario prison. But if you read carefully, the details tell us that while he was in prison, The prison master witnessed that everything Joseph did, he did to the best of his ability, and so he elevated him to leadership within the prison. Because wherever he was, he was going to do his part. 
And God gave him this innate gift to interpret dreams. So when the cupbearer has this dream and he interprets it, you think, oh, the story's going to be over. He's going to get rescued. It's 10 or 12 years before he's remembered. See, patience, patience is doing what is your part, a commitment to do your part, but it's number two, a choice to trust God with what only he can do. See, the reason that Joseph in those moments constantly was able to give his best of who he was, where he was, was because he trusted the goodness of God. He had faith that God was working and that behind the scenes, even though he didn't understand it and couldn't see it, God was doing something in his life. And so it leads me to this. Number three, patience is a willingness to fill the gap between the dream and the day with faith. To fill that gap with faith. Now you may be here today and like me, you may have this question, and I think it's a good question to ask. Why in the world would God ever set up a scenario where we would need patience? Why? I mean, I think that we see the answer some in our kids because we know that it's not always best to give our kids the things that they want immediately when they want it. But why would God choose patience? Why would this evidently be so important to him? And it's really in this simple answer that we get more in the middle. We get more in the middle. In the middle between the dream and the day, a lot of times we think that when I get to the day and I finally get that thing that God has told me that I'm going to get, that I'm, that's when my life is going to be fulfilled. But we actually get more in the middle. So I'm going to give you three things that we get in the middle that are very, very important. Number one, the middle reveals our character. The gap that exists between the dream and the day and the tension that's represented in Hoping and putting faith in God reveals our character. This is why some of you get angry in situations when you need to be patient. Because when everything's going okay, that, that anger that's there is kind of buried under circumstantial goodness. But when you get into the tension of being in the middle, you get the opportunity to deal with the anger as it surfaces because your character is being revealed in the middle. Some of you doubt, some of you fear, some of you get anxious, but it's in the middle that our character is revealed. And that is an opportunity and a gift to you. Because you would never be able to address those things or work on them if they weren't revealed. Number two, and this is so important, y'all. The middle makes sure that the goal is not the ultimate goal.
there are some of y'all that have been waiting for so long for something. And it's really simply this, that God is preparing your heart so that when you get that thing, it will not become your God. Because the goal can become our God. And in the middle, patience teaches us that the goal is not the ultimate goal. And lastly, the middle forces us to be satisfied with Jesus. Oh, that's good right there, y'all. That's good. Because there are some of y'all that are in a difficult journey right now between a, a dream and a day that you can see in the future. It may be that you're fighting for your family. It may be that you're fighting for your sobriety. It may be that you're fighting for your kids. I don't know what it is, but that day is in the distance. And right now, in the middle, it feels like you don't have enough. But the reason it feels like you don't have enough is that you're not completely satisfied by Jesus. See, we get more in the middle because we get the opportunity to only have Jesus and not have the goal. And in the middle, we can be satisfied with Jesus. Now, in this series, I've shared that the decisions that we make spiritually enable us to make other decisions. I think that's what Galatians 5 teaches us that when we choose to follow the Holy Spirit, that then we can make the other decisions, such as love, joy, peace, patience. We make that decision. There are decisions that come before those decisions because the unique thing about the fruit that are listed, the fruit of the Spirit, is that they're all choices. It's a choice to love. It's a choice to be joyful. It's a choice to be patient. But there has to be a spiritual decision that leads into that. So what are the decisions before the decision? What is the choice before the choice? The choice that lets me be patient. The first thing that we must do is we must choose to trust the goodness of Jesus completely. Now, if y'all are note-takers, as I understand, there's a little bit of confusion there at the end of the notes. Y'all just write it in, all right? I'll be patient and talk long enough that you can write that down. That we must choose to trust the goodness of Jesus completely. And here's the thing. That some of us believe Jesus is good, but he's not good to us. And some of us, because we look at the world and we see the condition of the world, we doubt the goodness of God. But if we're going to make the decisions spiritually that lead us to be able to be patient, we must choose to trust the goodness of Jesus completely. Can I tell you a notion that has literally rocked my world? That God loves me more than I love me. That means that the plans that I have for me, the thoughts that I have for me, the desires that I have for me, God's plans are better and higher and more than I could ever imagine. God loves me more than I could ever love myself. And I need to allow my heart to trust the goodness 
of God. And the second decision is that we must make the choice to be fully satisfied with Jesus. Now, look at that. That's a choice. It's a choice. And we must make the decision, especially in the middle, between the dream and the day, we must make the decision to say, Jesus, you're enough. I know I don't have what you promised me yet, but you're enough. And because you're enough, I can have hope for a future. Because you're enough. You see, when we can finally trust the goodness of God, and when we finally get to a place where we are satisfied with Jesus alone, we can be in the tension between the dream and the day, and we can live with hope for the future. And we can be patient. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.